0: Welcome to Harbor Speaks. Today we're going to talk to one of the matriarchs of the Wilmington and Harbor community, Olivia Cuevas Hernandez. She's a longtime resident of Wilmington, former teacher, who has helped thousands of youth and has been very active in the community and most recently wrote a book. my career. For 40 years, I've been worked in the nonprofit field, mostly with boys and girls clubs. During this time, I noticed that there are hundreds of nonprofit organizations and individuals making a positive difference in their community. My mission is twofold, to inform communities of these organizations and to recruit help for these organizations. We're going to take a short break, but when we return, we'll be talking with Olivia. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back everyone. I have in my office Olivia Cueva Hernandez. She just corrected me. I didn't say it right the last time. Anyway, Olivia, how long have you lived in Wilmington?
1: I was born in Wilmington. In fact, I was born not too far from here in the harbor and West Basin. And uh, my dad worked at a yacht landing and that's where I was born.
0: Wow. So where did you go to school?
1: I went to school at Freeze Avenue, and then I went to Wilmington Junior High. It had just opened shortly before, and then Banning.
0: Wow, so then you so, went on went to college too, right? Right,
1: so. Long Beach State.
0: Long Beach, so you're a real home girl then, right? That's right. Wow. I tried
1: UCLA, but it was taking four buses, and to Long Beach it was only three buses. And then I found somebody who we would carpool from San Pedro. So I'd walk down to, um, I lived by Banning Park, and I'd walk to Anaheim and McFarland, the corner of McFarland and Anaheim, and the people from San Pedro to go to Long Beach State would go up Anaheim, so that I used to get a ride.
0: That's what Anaheim was, the main road, right? Yes. Yeah, I remember that, all the old car companies <laughs> down Anaheim, but we're getting off the subject, so <laughs> let me, let me I understand you became a teacher then.
1: I became a teacher, um... It was my fifth grade teacher that influenced me. She liked my penmanship. So she said, oh, you beautiful handwritings. You should be a teacher. And it kind of stuck in my head.
0: Wow. And so what what was your main type of teacher? You were elementary?
1: I was elementary. I taught four years in San Pedro at Cabrillo. And then I went on to a Spanish language program that the district had in the junior highs. So I went from Gardena to San Pedro, going every two weeks into the classroom teaching Spanish. And then I went on, taught high school, and then the college level.
0: Wow, which did you like best?
1: Oh, I think I have fond memories of when I was an elementary school teacher.
0: The the little ones, huh? The
1: little ones, because I really felt I was making a difference. And the older ones, well, junior high and high school, it was the program that I really liked and I didn't really get to know them as well and then in the college level I liked because again I think I made an influence.
0: I hear that there's a lot of people that you have influenced that actually become teachers. Tell me about a few of them.
1: Well I, there was a group of uh, people from San Pedro and Wilmington who were very involved with Cal State Dominguez and they petitioned the Federal government and they got a program called Teacher Corps and so through Teacher Corps three of us were hired and so that was kind of my beginning and uh, they recruited people from the neighborhoods from Compton from Paramount and from Wilmington San Pedro and um, I got to know people and Felt that they would make a difference. And I also belonged to an organization that in the 60s there were very few Latinos or Mexican Americans in our schools. It was called AME, the Association of Mexican American Educators. And we would get together and have meetings with the superintendent to have him hire more Mexican teachers and to those that were in the schools, the few that were in the schools, to get them on the track to administration.
0: You guys were the lead, the leaders that got everything started for uh, you know, for Latinos getting into the education field.
1: Right, and it's amazing because we, a school was lucky, or a community, if it had one teacher that spoke Spanish back then in the 60s, and now you go into any of the elementary schools or even the upper grades. My first Latino teacher, I was a senior at Banning, and that was Frank Bonzo, and he taught geometry. And that's my first exposure to a teacher of Latino background.
0: Wow, how'd you do in geometry?
1: I did well, I was a math major. Oh, really? I wanted to be an architect at that time. Ah. And when I was counseled at Long Beach State, the man said women did not go into (coughs) architecture. So I looked at the card catalog and social work and teaching came up. And then I thought, oh, I get three months of summer vacation (laughs) if I become a teacher. Although that was always in the back of my mind. I didn't realize that we did not get paid at that time for not working in the summer. But that worked out to be a wonderful asset because then I did traveling, I would go to a city someplace in the United States, Mexico or Canada, and lived there for the entire summer. Wow. So I always enjoyed the benefits that I got from teaching, as well as what it did for the youngsters.
0: Wow. And you passed that on to your own kids as well, right? Yes. Yeah. They, I-
1: we traveled one summer. My husband was also a teacher. And we went throughout the United States and they were like in upper elementary, and we visited colleges and universities all along the trip, forward and back, and uh, they ended up going to universities.
0: So which ones did they go to?
1: Uh, Two of them went to University of Notre Dame in Indiana, and one went to Georgetown in Washington, D.C. Wow, They got their B.A.s there, and then one went back to uh, Both of them went back to their universities to get their master's. And it took me 40 years before I went back to get my master's.
0: Well, I still haven't got mine yet, but, you know, (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to try. Well,
1: I believe in education, and it's never too late.
0: Well, I think it's really, really helped a lot of people. You know, it's great that you've been a leader in getting... Uh, you know, into the teaching field. I think that's really great that you did that.
1: Well, I think education is important whether you go to take a specialty uh, like hairdressing or if you go to junior college because even if you become a housewife like I did for many years when I had my children before they started school, it teaches you how you could help them and they develop skills that they're interested in school and therefore school again. Is important.
0: So why did your kids choose Notre Dame?
1: Well, one of them, the oldest, her godfather, Raymond Arroyo, had graduated from Notre Dame and wow. he's also from Wilmington. Uh-huh. And he had gone to St. Anthony's, but he always talked about Notre Dame and she applied and she got in.
0: Wow, that's great.
1: And then her teachers at Banning were very influential. They wrote the recommendations, they helped her through the process which was very different from when I had gone to school.
0: In Georgetown too, how did you choose Georgetown?
1: She wanted to be different, she's the youngest and sometimes the youngest uh, decide they're gonna build their own trail and it was a good experience for me too because I had never been to Washington and I would go visit her.
0: And they're all very successful.
1: Yes, each in their own field.
0: That's great, that's great, I love that. I love hearing stories like that. Part of the reason why I wanted to inter- interview you today is you, you actually helped my wife. You know, she, she was in the, uh, the Teacher Corps program. And, right. you know, And she, she's almost the same story you're saying. Didn't know what to do with herself and, you know, just, you know, all these different ways of, of going. But she always credits you for helping her get into the teaching field. So.
1: Well, the Teacher Corps sometimes had a name to get children, not children, adults who maybe were trying to decide what they wanted to do and to expose them to teaching. It was working in the community, taking classes, and just helping in one way or another. And and that third phase also was practice teaching in schools. Uh So being that she was from Wilmington and another student, Tony Camacho, was also from Wilmington. So I was very proud that we had two from my local community and the program.
0: Yeah, I know Tony has got really far. He actually became a principal of a school and president of the AME program. So. Right. So after you were teaching, you were still very involved in the community. What, what kind of activities did you do?
1: Well, I think my first involvement was with the library. Huh. I had, uh, when I went to Freeze, I lived, I used to make a triangle from. Where I lived by Manning Park, I'd go straight to Freeze and from Freeze I'd walk over to the Wilmington Library, which was on Up Street by the post office. Then I would walk home, and I would always take my pile of 10 books, that's what was your limit, every two weeks. And so when I came, when my children were growing up, I used to take them to the library, but it was a very small library. So Sarah Mota, who was the president at the time, and Pat Bales, Blythe, excuse me, who had graduated from Banning, but she was a librarian at Harvard College, helped us, and we petitioned the library association, our city um, agency, and we raised funds, and the councilwoman at that time, Flores, helped us, and we were able to build the new library, which is on Avalon. And then from there, years later, I became president of the Friends of the Library. And then from there, I went on to become a commissioner, which oversaw the entire library system. And thanks to uh, Miss Garcia, who was the city librarian at the time, she was looking for a Mexican-American. And being that I was active with the libraries, I was chosen and it was a wonderful experience for me.
0: Wow was that a voluntary job or? It was. Wow. Most
1: of the time I did voluntary jobs.
0: Ah, wow. They
1: pay in the heart because yes. you know you've done something and I wish we could get more volunteers to the many organizations we have in the community.
0: Ah. And I understand you were active in the housing field as well. Could you tell me about that?
1: Would you believe I went to a wedding and I happened to be sitting next to someone who was from Wilmington, Peter Mendoza, And he was saying how the community plan at that time was allowing three-story buildings like along Wilmington Boulevard. And he said, we have to stop that because they're influencing, making a severe impact on the rest of the community. And I guess it interests me. So we started fighting that and we did get a moratorium on that. And then there was a lot by Holy Family Church and he extended that idea because they kept telling us, oh, people don't want houses. We're building apartments because people don't want to buy houses. So we went out to prove that people would buy the houses. And the initial group, they each put in 10,000. And from that, we built the 11 homes that are there.
0: Wow. And they're still there, and the people that originally bought them are still there, right? Yes. So. Yes, you and know. I
1: think it was a great asset for the community.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Jeez, you guys, you've guys, done a lot, but I understand you actually did some acting, too. Is that...
1: Oh, well, after I retired, one of the last programs that I worked with was the Summer Youth Program, which did career development in the summer for high school students. And one of the teachers that worked for me, I was more or less the principal of that group, did acting. So we would go to the garment district and help him develop costumes. And he explained how easy it was. So when I retired, I thought, let me give it a try, although I've never had experience along that line. Yes, I did do commercials.
0: Oh, you said some commercials? Huh? Yes.
1: I wow. didn't do any of the regular acting, but... It was all commercials.
0: So it was a lot of fun, or...
1: I did it for 10 years. Wow. And probably the only reason I stopped is because driving into the auditions and to the work, the freeway has gotten a lot busier.
0: Oh, yeah, it sure has. Well, it has changed a lot. So tell me how you feel that Wilmington has changed.
1: Well, when I was growing up or in high school in the 50s, of the population was basically white, and 15% were minorities. There were Filipinos, Mexican Americans, and a few others. There was a Puerto Rican family and a few black families. And nowadays, it's reversed. It's 85% more or less of Latinos. And the remainder, I think that's what I see different. The remainder are the white families who have stayed and I think the big influence was in the late '50s, New housing was built in Lakewood, Cerritos, out in that direction. So young people, or newlyweds, were able to buy property out in that area at a reasonable price, and their parents stayed here. And as their parents died, they, those homes were sold to Mexican Americans. So that's one of the reasons that our population has changed. And so um, that's the biggest difference I see. Also, it made a difference in the commercial uh, aspect. The owners of the stores along Avalon usually lived here in Wilmington, and I don't think that's so now. And I don't know, there was a lot of pride in keeping the storefronts clean and being part of the chamber. And there was a group that a comadre of mine, Ana Maria Lopez, her mother, had the Mexican chamber. And she did a lot to have the storefronts that were owned or run by Mexican-Americans or really? Latinos to be a part of the community and to make it a positive force. I don't think that organization exists anymore. I
0: don't think so, but I remember. she, she They were the owners of the Gonzales restaurant, right?
1: No, the furniture store.
0: Oh, the furniture store, that's yes. right. Yeah.
1: That's a different... The other Gonzaleses had... The Cinco de Mayo and the Gonzalez restaurant.
0: Oh, that's right. Okay. See, I'm going back a little too. But that, that was, I, was, I was a youngster back then, so yes, I, I, yes. I, 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 I don't remember too much of that <laughs> stuff. But I remember going to those restaurants. So. You were
1: probably born when I was in high school.
0: I remember going to yeah, Cinco de Mayo. We always had uh, rabbit. They always, they finished rabbit, you know. I didn't.
1: That's exactly where my dad would take us. We'd go once a month to the Cinco de Mayo. To have rabbit, and oh. later on to the Gonzales.
0: He, he would; they would have steak and all that stuff. But we, we get a rabbit, you know. Yes. <laughs> so, okay.
1: And my dad got mad one time because my sister ordered a hamburger.
0: Oh yeah! <laughs> oh yeah! At, the, at a Mexican restaurant, you ordered a hamburger. <laughs> wow. Well, so tell me, I, I understand you. You wrote a book about Wilmington, or what? what well, was...
1: years ago, I would always look up some history about Mexicans and I couldn't find too much that related to the Harbor area. Most of the history about Mexican descendants was about East LA. So I would always complain, oh, when's somebody gonna write here? So when I retired, I decided, you know, I'm always waiting for somebody else to do it. And just before I retired, I edited a chapter in the book called Drum Beats. And it told about A company or three companies of Latinos who were at the drum barracks and I had never known that and so I thought well there's a lot of history that we have um, been a part of here in the harbor and I started doing research and that was the beginning. Then I guess um, the Wilmington book came out and it covered the drum barracks, the banning Um, the military at um, port of embarkation, and the homes, the Wrigley homes. But I only saw one or two pictures of Mexicans, and I thought, oh my goodness, we were part of this community. So I helped edit that book, and that kind of spurred me, because I actually saw what had to be done to make a book with that series. Images of America and I felt we are important in the image of America so I Wrote a proposal which was very simple, but it was accepted so from then on I Got involved it took me two years Wow one year of doing outside research contacting people and I was very fortunate because a lot of people knew my grandparents and my uncles and my aunts so i was able to go into homes of the older residents when i used their names because they didn't know me and my name was not similar and that was the incentive and they would loan me their pictures and it was an experience for me to learn to interview to learn to scan to learn to really use the computer in a different way because i had grown up with a typewriter so it was both and i wanted not only the Latinos here or Mexicans in Wilmington, but others to know about our history. That's basically what took me to into the book. And there's a saying that I always thought of, and they said, we'll never know the story of the lion because we always hear the story of the lion hunter.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I thought, how can other people tell our story if we don't tell our own story? that's how I got involved
0: well that's awesome that's uh, are you planning on doing any more books
1: well I'm doing research on all the military things here in Wilmington the shipyard um, the camps the area behind the Cinco de Mayo that was had the blooms the, um, and there are still a few people that remember that era I was born during World War II so I I was not aware of it. And then another book I'd like to work on is early Wilmington, like covering the Wilmington Bowl, the Victory Hotel, the Don Hotel, and places that maybe are gone, but were important somewhere along in the history of Wilmington.
0: You know, I learned a lot of history from uh, V.J. Islas. I don't know if you remember him. Yes. He was a mailman for 40 years walking around town. So he knew all the speakeasies and all those those kind of things. But he, some of the things he would say were very interesting. Yes. You know, you, you know sometimes you get you a know, hold of those people from, from way back and they, they can tell you some real good stories. They might not all be true, but they're pretty good, you know. Well,
1: it, and I learned a lot of stories interviewing these people, but the book, I had to condense the pictures that I got and the stories that I received because I wanted to show a positive cross-section. And it was difficult because the editors did not allow me to use certain words. Uh For example, the De La Torre family, the mother was Japanese American, and I wanted to say something about, I said concentration camps, and it went back and forth about three times until they settled on how I could word it and so there were other aspects. And one time I had, there's a picture in the book where the boys, Raymond Cruz, just returned from boot camp, and he's with a bunch of friends standing in front of a car. And they rejected the pe- the picture because they said it was gang graffiti. You know, oh, bad yeah. image. Yeah. And I said, no, everyone dressed at that time here, and. I went back and forth with the young lady, which in North Carolina, maybe they didn't dress like that, but in California, we dressed like that. Oh, yeah. At least the yeah. young men did, no matter what their ethnic background was. So there were things that I learned too, that you have to explain and walk through and let other people know that what they see is not necessarily negative, how some people are.
0: Well, it's like I understand from a lot of people what know there's a lot of longshoremen in this area and a lot of people wore Frisco jeans back but everybody thought that was gang related that's right you know but in reality that was what they wore because that's where they you know it was comfortable to work in you know so you don't just have Hispanics or Latinos dressing like that but you would have white people or Japanese people that were they'd all be wearing Frisco's right you know so and now nobody wears them, so you know everybody got it to lewis. So, is there anything in your book that you really draws your attention more than was something more interesting to you that you learned?
1: I don't think so. I think I tried to cover the history of the area, how we were first a rancho by Mr. Dominguez, you know the rancho San wow. Pedro, and. So we've been here a long time, even when it wasn't part of the United States. And up to the present, and I covered religion, work, the military, I realized there was the reasons why people came here from Mexico and showed pictures of families. And I was really surprised how many families would pose as a family back then, but they maybe had only one picture because people did not have cameras. Yeah. And so I was able to get a lot of those pictures, which I think were realistic and made people, when they saw the book, it's not somebody they don't know. There's always an uncle or a friend's mother or something. They have identified people that some people did not know who they were in the picture. And I'm still getting calls for the book. Not as many, but it's a good feeling that I have made an impact in that way.
0: Anybody more interesting to you or any, you know, some of the people you interviewed?
1: I don't think so. I think the biggest realizations probably because what's going on now is that people came, at least the Mexicans came for work. There was lots of work and they came and they worked as laborers, whether they were on the fields, on the docks, in the refineries, and they have been the backbone of the success of not only the harbor, but of other areas. And I think the other thing is that I've shown that all Mexican-Americans don't live in East LA. That we've done just as much, and from that, I've been told I should do a book which would talk about the next generation, Mm -hmm. because the next generation went to colleges and universities, and we have doctors, lawyers that have come out, the grandchildren of those and the pictures or even some other children, the union representatives, you go through names, del, uh, what is it, Miranda, and other names, the Ponce de Leon. You hear names and you think, oh my goodness, their grandparents were the ones who came here and look what they're doing now to improve the um,
0: That's great the to see generation, yes, yes. each generation seemed to improve more and more. Uh, you know, they're getting the professions now rather than the labor.
1: And probably the one thing I see different too now, as versus then, that I didn't mention before, is that we were forced by our parents, in the sense, and by society to learn English. And I don't think people are as encouraged today to learn English. And mm-hmm. you cannot be a, as successful if you don't have a good basis of English. And that's one thing I always stress when I was teaching too. It's beautiful that you speak a second language, but English—you're in this country. Yes. You to go forward, you have to have a good grammatical and written skills in English. Yes. Although we all make mistakes, but it's still that we have to have that.
0: Yeah, I always go back to my favorite teacher, Irene McKenna, when I first started uh, at Manning, and she was. a uh, she was an English teacher. You know, I, I was a terrible student. I'll be the first to admit that, but I still remember some of the things she she used to like literature, and we read the book uh, Les Mis, and the, now there's the play and the movie and everything. And I always think about her when I see these movies. You know, because she was she was a real awesome. Right person and, for me.
1: And I think the thing is that the curriculum in our schools, we could touch on the contributions of others. We could read a book of Cervantes while we read uh, something else, but I don't know how much the curriculum has changed at that level because I'm not within the school system anymore.
0: So of all these accomplishments you've done, what, what are you most proud of?
1: Well, right now, I just resigned, or my term was up as a trustee at the Wilmington Cemetery. I went in because a friend that I had grown up with said, we need a woman and we want a Latina. It's all Fine, and I thought I'd just go to a meeting and that was it. Well, once I got there, I started realizing that it needed a lot of help. We digitized, we um, found minutes from way back, and one reason or another, I started looking at the veterans that were buried there. And so far, I have found over 300. And originally, there were 18 identified civil war. Now I have 41. And so that's what I'm interested in now. And maybe that's the third book I'll write. Wow. It's on the soldiers and sailors that are buried at the Wilmington Cemetery. So right now, that's my main interest. Well, I want to
0: thank you for being here today. This has really been uh, educational for me. Well, and,
1: you could come and volunteer at the cemetery or help me find other people who will help research and be on the board.
0: Well, I'm hoping this helps. Maybe we can get some people to come and help for, through this broadcast. So, Thank uh, you. Uh, I
1: would love to have them there.
0: Okay, well, I'd like to thank everyone for listening today, and I'd love to have Olivia on our show. And If you have an organization or a special activity that you would like to promote on Harbor Speaks, Email me at harborspeakspodcast at gmail.com. That's harborspeakspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again, and we'll see you on our next show.